associated with the Levin community, and they're the ones that lead the uh, affordable housing coalition that we're a part of. Um, so she's out for this week. We'll be back this week. But because she's out, some things are bound to slip through the cracks, um, especially in the bulletin, because she's usually one who does that. So uh, you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, um, no, we're not trying to relive 2019. Heavens, no, it's not 2019. It is the year 2020. And if you look to see who's preaching this morning, it is clearly not the person indicated in the bulletin. She's somewhere else. You're stuck with me. So um, I'll be happy when she's back and catches those kinds of glitches. Uh, we continue this morning in our series on the narrative. We're, we're going through the narrative lectionary, basically going through all of the Bible week by week. And we are in the Gospel of Mark right now, uh, in the middle of a bunch of action-packed stories from Mark, where Mark has been healing. Last week, Mark uh, tells us that Jesus has been healing in Mark. And then uh, last week, we talked about uh, a parable that Jesus told. And we're back to a healing story today that's... Um, Wow, really something else. We're in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And there we read this story. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He responded, legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Will you pray with me? Loving God, I, I pray that you would be oh so present during this time of wrestling with your, 
your word in this scripture. And I pray that this is a word for your people. I pray that you would open our hearts, our ears, our minds to what you would have for us this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. So I don't like horror movies. I don't. I don't like horror movies at all. I don't. I have never liked them in my entire life. I don't do scary movies. And it's been that way since I was a little kid. And it still continues to this day. I have friends who love them. I have friends who think it is fun. I think those friends are a little crazy. I'm not into horror movies or scary movies at all. I remember distinctly when I was a little kid, probably probably six or seven years old, and I remember seeing a commercial, more importantly, hearing a commercial on Channel 50 out of Detroit. And Channel 50 had this commercial where they were broadcasting the movie of the week, and the guy's voice was something like this. And he talked about how the movie of the week was the true story of Charles Manson, Helter Skelter. And they showed the wall, and it was written in blood on the wall. And just that commercial... Just that commercial kept me up at night crying. Too scary. Don't like it. I remember my parents telling me a story about how they had gone to see The Exorcist, the movie The Exorcist, when it came out. Yeah, I know, right? Similar reaction. Um, They went to the drive-in together, and uh, they said when they got home from seeing that movie, they didn't sleep for a couple of nights after seeing it. And I was like, nope. No way I'm going to see that one. Put that on my list of things to avoid watching. I don't, I don't like being startled. I don't like creepiness. I don't like the feeling of fear. I don't get into Halloween like other people. I don't do horror movies. I avoid scary situations. I'm just not into it. And that's part of the reason I really don't love this story in our text for today. Because in my mind, it is a scene straight out of a horror movie. Which is interesting because, and I'll say this because she isn't here, so I'll I'll, uh, throw her under the bus a little bit. (laughs) Pastor Julia happens to like horror movies, and she, when she heard I was going to preach this, she said, oh, please record it for me. I love that story. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. (laughs) So... I think it's a scene out of a horror movie because when you picture this, you picture this man. This man who we're told is possessed by evil spirits. And he is out in the tombs, in the graveyard, where a lot of good horror movie scenes take place. And he is trapped out there. He is is out there like they can't hold him down. They've tried to chain him down. And he breaks all of the chains. And he's screaming horribly. And he's cutting himself with rocks. This is an incredibly scary and disturbing scene. And then with this voice, at one point in the story, the voice that I imagined sounded a lot like the voice of the guy from Channel 50 out of Detroit. When he's asked what his name is, he said, We are legion, for we are many. Oh, this is getting scarier and scarier. And then it, just to amp it up, 
this army of evil spirits begs to be transported into the bodies of pigs, which is freaking scary when you think about it, because we now have a whole herd of 2,000 demon-possessed pigs in the mix, which is a whole new level of scary and a whole different genre of horror movie. (laughs) This is bizarre. It is scary. It is disturbing. And it's made that much more disturbing when these pigs jump off the cliff into the water and drown themselves. And then we have this image of floating, drowned, dead pigs just to cap off the scene. This is frightening, y'all. This is frightening. So we've acknowledged that this story is scary, that it is disturbing. It is not my favorite story in Scripture. We still have to ask, what do we do with this? It's the assigned task for the morning. We still have to dig into it a little bit. And there are a few possibilities. Actually, there are all sorts of things that you can do with this text. We can talk about how this all takes place in Gentile territory. This is on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. So there are definitely social and cultural layers to this story, for sure. We could talk about how the evil spirits call themselves legion and how that word is used by the Romans to indicate a particular number of Roman soldiers, 6,000 Roman soldiers to be exact, and how Mark probably, in writing this gospel, has something to say about Rome and the Roman army when he casts this legion into the pigs. We could go there. And of course, we could talk about the fact that pigs are considered by Jews to be unclean animals. So there's definitely a religious element to this story as well, particularly when it comes to obeying the Torah and avoiding unclean animals. Those possibilities are all going to have to wait for another sermon, or I'll talk to you about them sometime if you want to have a cup of coffee. Because I want to ask three questions Three questions about this text and deal with these questions this morning. The first question is this. Who are the Gerasene demoniacs? That's what this person is labeled. This man is labeled the Gerasene demoniacs of our time. The second question is, why did the people react to Jesus healing the way they reacted? And the third question is, Maybe the most important question of the morning is, are we really ready and willing to be people of Jesus? Question number one, who are the garrisoned demoniacs of our time? Who are the people who howl and scream and self-harm and act in ways that we don't understand that make us feel unsafe so much that we want to lock them away or cast them out to the outskirts of the city to howl and carry on where we can't see or hear them? Those of you who are familiar with the work that I'm currently involved in, uh, besides my pastor work here at the church, my work with Do Good Multnomah, probably be able to figure out pretty quickly where I'm going to go with this. I want to be clear. I am not suggesting that folks experiencing houselessness, particularly those who struggle with mental illness or addiction issues, are possessed by evil spirits. I want to be clear about that. I am not directly equating folks who live on the streets with this man who claims to be possessed by legion. 
by many, many evil spirits. I'm not making that direct connection. However, the way that we treat folks who live on the streets is awfully reminiscent of the way this person was treated. He's cast out to the outskirts of town, forced by his circumstances, either by other people forcing him or himself feeling that this was the only safe place that he could be. And I know it might seem strange to be thinking about the safety of this man. After all, shouldn't we be thinking about the safety of the folks he might potentially come in contact with? But the text tells us that people had tried to restrain this man with chains and by human force. No one was tough enough to deal with him or control him. So when he came around, no doubt he was scared that they were going to try to chain him down again. And so he's driven out because of people's fear, their need to control him. And so he lives among the dead, in tombs, in caves, in the cemetery, suffering and struggling in isolation. And I imagine the folks in town are thankful that he's out there. They don't want to see him. They want to forget that he's there. If they can't contain or control him, if they can't lock him away, then thank goodness he's not where they have to deal with him every day. They don't want that man camping in their backyard, if you know what I'm saying. Friends, have you ever had the opportunity to talk to someone who's living, been living out on the streets? You ever had the opportunity? If you, if you have, if you've taken some time to have a genuine conversation with someone, if you ask them if they've ever been driven out or forced to go away or told they don't belong somewhere, if you ask them if they've ever had anyone assume that they were on drugs or mentally ill just because they're houseless, they could tell you stories. Am I right? Amen? Yeah, that's right. That's right. For those who do struggle with mental illness or addiction issues and have found themselves having a mental health crisis in public, they can tell you shameful stories of how they've been treated. Folks make assumptions about people experiencing houselessness so they don't want them in their neighborhoods because they think they're scary and unsafe. They want them out of sight and out of mind. I want to be fair, friends. I, I have had counters with folks. I have had encounters with folks who live on the streets that have been scary. It's true, I have. And if I'm honest, there have been times when I, too, have entertained in my, in my own privilege thought that I don't like to talk about much. I've entertained the thought of what it would be like if if houseless folks weren't immediately in my purview. Maybe there's a never-used jail on the outskirts of town we could revamp and send them all to, ship them out there or something. Sorry, I showed my hand on that one. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that idea, but I digress. Here's the thing, friends. Making believe or making people invisible is not Christ-like. In fact, it's sinful. 
the will of God is to love God and to love our neighbors, then erasing our neighbors by removing them from our line of sight is not loving and therefore is against the will of God and therefore it is sinful. So nimbyism, not in my backyardism, is a sin. And we need to call it that if we people of God are actually going to engage with folks who have that mentality. Question number two. Why do the people react the way they do to Jesus freeing this man? Now, we've, we've heard stories of Jesus healing. We had a, just one a couple weeks ago with a man that was lowered through the roof. And usually... The response, when it happens, and it's true in this case, people are awed at first in this story. But usually that awe and amazement, it, it, has, it leads to people going, we got to come and check this out. we got to get our friends healed. We need to come and be healed. And so Jesus ends up having crowds and crowds of people around, so much so that they can't even get through the door, and they have to be lowered through the roof. That's the usual thing that we read about when Jesus heals someone. But did you catch the reaction of the people in that region after Jesus drives those demons out into those pigs and heals, those, heals this man? When the townsfolk hear from the pig herders what happened and the folks come out to where Jesus was and they see this man restored and healed and, and it says sane in this case, they plead with Jesus to leave the region. They want him gone. Why do they do this? Why is the reaction different? Well, practically, let's face it, Jesus has just caused a major economic issue for the community. For For Jews, pigs are unclean, but for Gentiles, pigs are perfectly fine. And in fact, pigs are therefore profit. 2,000 pigs? That's a lot of profit. So Jesus restoring this man to health and ultimately to viability in his community costs these pig owners money. And they're not happy about that. They're not happy about the economic loss that came with this particular mode of healing and restoration. I like to think that's sort of like How folks aren't happy when other folks want to put a tiny home village in their neighborhood because they're afraid that their property values will go down. I know, I know, it's not an exact analogy, I know, but it's at least something worth thinking about. I think that the reason for the reaction is deeper than merely a financial loss. See, there's a similarity here between this healing story and the story of the paralytic lowered through the roof that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Jesus heals the man, and then the man asks to go with him, to follow him. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus has shown kindness and compassion. Jesus approached this man, which most people wouldn't do. He feels safe and included and loved by Jesus. And so he's like, please, can I go with you? And what does Jesus tell him? The same thing he told to that paralytic two weeks ago. He says, no, go to your home. Go back to your home, to your community where you belong, where you have always belonged, despite what they did and what they said. You belong there. Go home. Go back to the place you belong. 
And tell people what you, which has happened for you. Now that is really disrupting the social order. This dude doesn't belong in town after all. He belongs out in the caves, out in the tombs, out on the margins. If he's allowed to re-enter civilized, quote-unquote, society, that could start us down a slippery slope toward having to include and accept other folks at various stages of healing and brokenness back into the community. No, 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 no. People have their place. And if you're going to disrupt that, then Jesus, we're going to have to ask you. This is just too much. This is just way too much. You, you got to go. Go somewhere else and do this healing and restoration work. Don't do it here in our backyard. This leads me finally to question number three. Are we truly ready and willing to be people of Jesus? Are we truly ready to be like Christ. And I ask this question because, friends, being people of Jesus can cost us. It can cost us financially. Absolutely. It can, and I'm going to say it should, cost us our time, our energy, our resources. It can and often does cost us in terms of our feelings of comfort and safety. And it can cost us emotionally. Trust me, being truly present with those who have been marginalized, with those who've been told they don't belong, with those who spend most of their day being not having anyone speak to them or even call them by their name, spending time with those folks and truly entering into their life and their space, it will break your heart. It can cost us our popularity. (laughs) Trust me. People don't always like folks that are trying to serve the marginalized. Especially when they're doing it right in front of them. People can and will tell us to go away, to stop, do our work somewhere else, to put up fences and walls and make sure, make sure that they aren't impacted by the horrors of the modern day demons that force folks to the margins. This work can get scary, friends. But unlike horror movies and other scary things that we can choose to avoid, that I've already confessed I do choose to avoid, if we truly want to be people of Jesus, we can't avoid facing this work head on. In the face of our fears. Because doing so is at the very heart of what it means to be people of Jesus. This Jesus who was willing to sacrifice everything, even his life, in solidarity with those who the privileged and elite were continually trying to keep in their place, a place of oppression and isolation. So I ask that third question again, are we, am I, are you 
truly willing to be people of Jesus when it comes to our modern day garrison demoniacs, the outcast and the oppressed who we are called to help and to heal and to welcome into our lives and communities? Are we truly, truly ready to do that? God, I hope so. I hope so because ultimately that is what resurrection looks like. That's what resurrection looks like. When we're willing to sacrifice on behalf of others, the result is a death to our own ego, our own need for comfort and privilege and wealth and importance. And what takes the place of that? That death leads to resurrection that is healing and hope and new life and restoration and reconciliation and all the things that we dream of when we, when we dream of, of heaven. This kingdom of God the shalom that we're promised. Beloved, may we all search ourselves deeply for the answer to that third question. And may the Holy Spirit lead us to boldly and continually respond. Yes. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you forgive me for the far too many times when I have avoided neighbors who don't have a house, neighbors who live on the street, these beloved children of yours, because I've been afraid, because I didn't understand, because I just didn't want to deal. Forgive me. Forgive us. And I pray for those who are outcast, who are marginalized. I pray for those who struggle with modern-day demons, whether they look like addiction or mental illness, traumas of all kinds, generational trauma, the impact of our, our unjust and unfair economic structures and systems, racism and homophobia and sexism and all of these demons seem to possess us and keep us from welcoming and healing and restoring. I pray for healing, O oh God. And I pray that we would have hearts big enough and, and, and minds big enough to, to dream of something different, of something better for all of us. I pray that you would heal Move the hearts of those who say not in my backyard. That we can offer a way so that all, all can have what they need to be healed, restored, and in a place to be that's with us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Friends, we come to the point in our service where we share with one another the peace of Christ. This is an ancient practice where we take a few moments to stand and to greet one another with a hug or a handshake and look one another in the eyes and say, the peace of Christ be with you and to respond and also with you and to be assured of that peace among all of us.
When you hear me start to sing Spirit of the Living God, I invite you to come back and join us in that chorus. We'll return to the space to pray together. But for now, please take some time and greet one another with the peace of Christ.